Chapter twenty five of Survivors of the Chancellor by Jules Verne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Joe Denoyer, Somerset, New Jersey. While there's life, there's hope. Night of December fourth. Curtis caught young Turner again in his arms, and running with him across the flooded deck, deposited him safely in the starboard shrouds, whither his father and I climbed up beside him. I now had time to look about me. The night was not very dark, and I could see that Curtis had returned to his post upon the poop, while in the extreme aft near the taffrail, which was still above water, I could distinguish the forms of Mr. and Mrs. Keir, Miss Herbie, and Mr. Falston. The lieutenant and the boatswain were on the far end of the forecastle, the remainder of the crew in the shrouds and topmasts. By the assistance of his father, who carefully guided his feet up the rigging, Andre was hoisted into the main top. Mrs. Keir could not be induced to join him in his elevated position in spite of being told that if the wind were to freshen she would inevitably be washed overboard by the waves nothing could induce her to listen to remonstrances and she insisted upon remaining on the poop miss herbey of course staying by her side as soon as the captain saw the chancellor was no longer sinking he set to work to take down all the sails yards and all and the topgallants in the hope that by removing everything that could compromise the equilibrium of the ship he might diminish the chance of her capsizing altogether but may she not founder at any moment i said to curtis when i had joined him a while upon the poop everything depends upon the weather he replied in his calmest manner that of course may change at any hour one thing however is certain the chancellor preserves her equilibrium for the present but do you mean to say i further asked that she will sail with two feet of water over her deck no mr caslon she can't sail but she can drift with the wind and if the wind remains in its present quarter in the course of a few days we might possibly sight the coast besides we shall have our raft as a last resource in a few hours it will be ready and at daybreak we can embark you have not then i added abandoned all hope even yet i marveled at his composure while there's life there's hope you know mr caslon out of hundred chances ninety-nine may be against you but perhaps the odd one may be in our favor besides i believe that our case is not without precedent in the year 1795, a three-master, the Juno, was precisely in the same half-sunk, waterlogged conditions as ourselves, and yet with her passengers and crew clinging to her topmasts, she drifted for twenty days until she came in sight of land, when those who had survived the deprivation and fatigue were saved. So let us not despair. Let us hold on to the hope that the survivors of the Chancellor may be equally fortunate. I was only too conscious that there was not much to be said in support of Curtis's sanguine view of things and that the force of reason pointed all the other way. But I said nothing, deriving what comfort I could from the fact that the captain did not yet despond of an ultimate rescue. As it was necessary to prepare to abandon the ship almost at a moment's notice, Dallas was making every exertion to hurry on the construction of the raft. A little before midnight he was on the point of conveying some planks for the purpose, when, to his astonishment and horror, he found that the framework had totally disappeared. The ropes that had attached it to the vessel had snapped, as she became vertically displaced, and probably it had been adrift for more than an hour. The crew were frantic at this new misfortune, and shouting, Overboard with the masts! They began to cut down the rigging preparatory to taking possession of the masts for the new raft. But here Curtis interposed. Back to your places, men! Back to your places! The ship will not sink yet, so don't touch a rope until I give you leave. The firmness of the captain's voice brought the men to their senses, and although some of them could ill disguise their reluctance, all returned to their posts. When daylight had sufficiently advanced, Curtis mounted the mast and looked around for the missing raft, but it was nowhere to be seen. 
the sea was far too rough for the men to venture out with the whaleboat in search of it and there was no choice but to set to work to construct a new raft immediately since the sea had become so much rougher mrs keir had been induced to leave the poop and was managing to join monsieur letourneur and his son on the main top where she lies in a state of complete prostration i need hardly add that miss hervey continues in her unwearied attendance the space to which these four people are limited is necessarily very small nowhere measuring twelve feet across to prevent them losing their balance some spars have been lashed from shroud to shroud and for the convenience of the two ladies curtis has contrived to make a temporary awning of a sail mr keir had installed himself with silas huntley on the foretop a few cases of preserved meat and biscuit and some barrels of water that floated between the masts after the submersion of the deck have been hoisted to the topmast and fastened firmly to the stays these are now our only provisions End of chapter 25